Hey y'all, welcome to the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast. I am your host, Cannabis Sativa. If you're currently a medical marijuana patient and would like to tell your story and be featured on the podcast, feel free to email me at IamCannabisSativa at gmail.com. You guys are having a very good one. Um, so I wanted to talk about this story. Um, like I have said um, since the inception of this podcast and as I have reiterated um, several times over the past year, um, the whole point of this podcast is to make cannabis accessible to all that need it, especially the most vulnerable, you know, especially working class folks, especially people with families that are juggling um, their their families, juggling expenses, juggling you know, healthcare, juggling, you know, everything else. And because this is a Schedule 1 narcotic, according to our government, everyone is having to pay for this out of pocket. And if you're not of serious means, you and your spouse are not of serious means, or you you and yourself are not of serious means, this adds up very, very quickly. And for working class folks, and for the most vulnerable, it becomes out of reach. And, you know, the people that need it most and the people that would benefit the most don't end up trying it because um, they have to pay for it entirely out of pocket and they don't want to go broke or bankrupt or homeless. And unfortunately, you just have, you know, people of means staying in the program. Um, I'm going to put it I'm going to put a reference to a um I'm going to put an interview from the friend of the show, friend of the show, um, Reefer Revolution. Um, I'm going to put there, I'm going to put a link to an interview with a, a doctor, a medical marijuana doctor from New York who was saying that, um, that he's had many people in his practice and he's observed that, you know, people of color and black people don't stay with the medical marijuana program in, in New York because of costs. Again, I mean, this podcast, I, I gear this podcast, to, I mean, I welcome everyone to listen, but first and foremost, my number one priority, and it'll be my, it'll always be my number one priority, and um, it's okay if you're not, if you don't like that, then, you know, this maybe isn't the podcast for you, maybe you're not a fit, but my number one priority is making cannabis accessible for regular people, all right? That's my number one priority. I welcome everyone, but they they come first, um, no matter what. Regular regular people and people that are on the margins that are struggling to afford this, in addition to the the outrageous price of everything these days. So, um, without further ado, I'm going to get to the article. All right. So this is from High Times, and it's written by Aaron Genuth. The Dennis Perone and Brownie Mary Act, SB 34, will aid California's most vulnerable. The Dennis Perone and Brownie Mary Act, SB 34, has overwhelmingly passed a California Senate vote and was sent to the desk of Governor Gavin Newsom on September 18, 2019. Governor Newsom now has until mid-October to decide whether to sign it into law or veto it. SB 34 was introduced and co-written by State Senator Scott Weiner, who represents the 11th Senate District that includes San Francisco. He has been a leader in the state legislature on cannabis and other progressive causes like net neutrality, (coughs) renewable energy, and LGBTQ issues. 
The purpose of SB 34 is to ensure that legalization doesn't kill off compassion programs and access to cannabis by low-income people, he explains. When Proposition 64 passed, I supported it, and many people supported it. The goal is to bring the industry into the sunlight and have regulation, taxation, and a safer, healthier industry. What inadvertently happened was the imposition of approximately 25% taxes on compassion programs that have no revenue because they simply donate cannabis to low-income patients. Again, more programs in the U.S. need need things like this, need compassion programs. Um, I'm going to link in the show notes a previous episode we we did about you know compassion programs in 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 um in this country. A lot of them are in California, and um, I mean there is one in Florida. I think there is one in New Hampshire, and um, yeah, I mean, in 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 a lot of states, including mine, um, some people like myself have qualified for um financial hardship discounts and how that works is that you get you fill out your the paperwork if you're x percent over the poverty line or you, you're on on medicaid or whatever you get 10 to 20 percent off your medicine and um I, i'm appreciative appreciative of the 10 and 20 percent i i often get but 10 10 to 20 percent off a 300 dollar ounce only really goes so far you know, and I'm really having to strategize a lot of the time as to when I go to dispensaries, you know, when I have to look out for um, sales that particular dispensaries have so I can know if, if they're stackable. So I'm, I'm often having to do things like that to, to, get, to get by and to afford my medicine. And it's just sad because so many people are like, hey, you know, I have this illness, I have this disease, I have whatever. And then they, they read into medical marijuana. They read that it's not covered by insurance. They read that these appointments are costly in a lot of states. And, you know, they, they, they crunch the numbers. And on top of paying for expenses for their family, it, they, they, they just can't come out ahead and, 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 and stay with the program or even consider it. And then they continue taking pharmaceuticals. It's like everything else in our society. It's like a two-tier system for the upper class, the 1%, and then 99% who doesn't have money. The 99% needs the cannabis probably even more than the 1%. Again, I make this podcast for regular people, you know, and and that they're my they're my first and primary focus and the people that are most vulnerable that have trouble affording it or don't even consider it at all that's who i fight for i mean there are other podcasts that, that, that fight for other lanes such as veterans such as um you know women such as whatever and i i, I welcome everyone but it it breaks my heart the most when when lower income people opt out of cannabis entirely or, or just continue taking pharmaceuticals because that's the only thing their insurance will cover. Those are the people I fight the, the most for, you know, that's, that's the nuts and bolts of what this podcast is about. We put their, we put their needs over, we put their needs first and foremost because they get ignored by everyone else in our society. But um, let's, let's continue. The result is that these compassion programs are closing down. People are losing access to cannabis and, um, they can't afford the retail prices for cannabis. So they're either resorting to the illicit market, which we don't want, or they are not able to access their medicine, he continues. Just like I said, they, 
you know, people will go to the black market, myself included. I'll go to the black market oftentimes when I find things too costly or I'll, I'll use my caregiver who, who, I mean, I mean, technically you can say that she's black market, but I don't, I, I don't consider it that because she's a, a illegal caregiver in Maine. So no, um, I, I usually go to my caregiver from outside the state and I don't give Massachusetts my money because they charge too much and they don't look out for the average person. And like this, like this, um, like this congressperson is saying, he's correct. People will just go to the black market. They'll go to caregivers, um, elsewhere, or they'll just, they'll just go back to pharmaceuticals. That's what will happen. A brief history of SB 34, a previous version also sponsored by Senator Weiner, SB 8, 829 passed the state Senate, but was vetoed by Governor Jerry Brown, ostensibly over concerns about misuse by bad faith cultivators who will claim that entire crops are for compassionate use. What a, what a scumbag. Screw Moonbeam. Create, creating a tax shelter for commercial crops. Many skeptics, however, consider that an unlikely scenario under California's compassionate track and trace system in which each plant is registered for cultivation tax and regulatory tracking. Governor Newsom has traditionally had a positive relationship with, with, the, with the cannabis community, but Senator Weiner isn't counting on anything just yet. I don't know if he will sign the bill. We worked with the administration on it and made amendments based on feedback they provided, he said. He hasn't taken a public position, though, so I don't know what he'll do. And this bill, this bill and its authors, sponsored and sponsors and supporters, represent what they hope is part of a local and national movement to return the cannabis industry to the medicinal and communal roots that are its basis for existence. It may serve as a def defining test of Governor Newsom and his relationship to cannabis. Dennis Perrone and Brownie Mary. The namesakes of the bill are the legendary are, are legendary in the history of cannabis, healthcare, and California. Dennis Perron established the first dispensary in California in San Francisco in the 1970s and is widely considered the father of medical marijuana. Brownie Mary Rathburn dealt medicated brownies openly in San Francisco until a bus in the early 1980s where she went temporarily underground. Both pushed their public activism, by extension the California cannabis movement, into overdrive in response to the AIDS epidemic in the early 90s as it devastated the San Francisco gay community of which Peron was a proud member, leader, organizer. Brownie Murray also further solidified her name and it eternal reputation during this per period, courageously providing illegal medicated brownies to her terminally ill kids at great personal expense. See, that's a that's an OG. She's a hero. We we need more people like her that that care about the most vulnerable. You know, it's 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 truly selfless people in this world that you know that that make my cynical my, make my cynical slightly misanthropic heart you know happy a little bit you know i know it sounds cheesy to say but it's true you know and there is good in this world there are people there are people that that care for others and that sacrifice for others and and those people are saints they really are after one bust in 1992 she told the san jose mercury i make them for the world 
I make them for the worst of the patients, the ones on chemotherapy and the ones totally wa wasting away. I pick out the worst of the worst and turn them on. They were contemporaries, neighbors, friends, collaborators from 1974 until Mary's passing from a heart attack in 1999. Dennis Perron remained a tireless activist for cannabis and other causes until he passed away in 2018 at the age of 72. Rest, rest, rest in power, both of them. Um, at least um, Dennis got to see adult use become legal before he passed on. So, um, again, his his work came full circle. Um, I mean, sadly, the compassionate programs are being squeezed out as we're reading in this argue in this article. But you know, to 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 be there from the very beginning when it was just barely when it was just a fringe activity. And it was just decriminalized in the state and then seeing medical happen in the 90s and then seeing adult use happen and all within the span of his lifetime from full criminalization to full legalization within his lifetime. That's that's mind blowing. And, and all the lives that he has touched and all the lives that he has improved. Aaron believes that while many involved in the regulatory process were are well intentioned, more inclusiveness perspective and foresight when implementing proposition 64 was needed when proposition 64 was written nobody talked to any of the nonprofits that did compassionate programs none of us were invited to be at the table when they draft the law it was all big business people and everyone had dollar signs in their eyes what he, while he recognized that many people were driven by need and desire to make money the people that are the very basis of the movement that Dennis Perron, Brownie Murray, and so many others sacrificed and struggled for cannot be disregarded. The problem is that millions of dollars, is that mil the millions of dollars people are making is coming at the expense of people that are the reason why we have legal cannabis in the first place. It is a it is at the expense of low income and terminally ill patients who now do not have access to cannabis because of legalization. Entwistle believes that SB 34 is an early referendum on Governor, Governor Newsom, the former mayor of he and Perone's hometown of San Francisco, who has been only been the governor mansion since January 2019. It is about the reputation of Gavin Newsom, Entwistle says, and when we look back on Newsom's governorship, what are we going to say? If he signs this thing, we are going to say he's a good governor who started off by doing right thing if he doesn't there's going to be a lot of questions about him aaron adds that the broader issue of the bill is, is addressing is not specific to california and doesn't end there or with sb 34 when we looked at colorado and washington since legalization really we realized that the medical and compassionate programs were also disappearing in those states colorado has seen a significant drop in the number of medical card holders since 2014 with familiar reports of astronomical price increases and new regulatory burdens. In Washington, the only operating compassionate program that Sweet Leaf could find is run in Seattle by Have a Heart, a dispensary chain. I've been there. I've been to Have a Heart when I vacationed in um, Seattle two years ago. It's a pretty good dispensary. It was pretty crowded. And I, I attributed, I, I mean, I attributed it being very crowded, like, 
like i had to wait like outside at the door like that's how crowded it was when i went there and i just attributed it to it being in the middle of seattle and um you know it being in the middle of like touristy areas but but i guess it was also because they had the they're one of the only places in the state that have a compassionate care program because i saw a lot of like patients there too or people that seemed like they were patients as well you know it, it wasn't just tourists it just it felt like 50 50 um tourists and 50 and, and 50 50 adult use and then 50 50 medical patients it really f felt like an even split across the board but it was, it was pretty crowded and they had pretty good products the struggle to reinstitute compassion programs in those states continues and must, in the view of Senator Weiner, be a feature of future legalization campaigns and legislation. These compassionate programs are so important for people who are extremely vulnerable, low income, and struggling with significant health programs, whether it's HIV, veterans with PTSD, people with cancer. You have to make sure that as you legalize, you don't kill off the programs where it started. Ultimately, most of the activist caregivers we spoke to are cautiously optimistic about Governor Newsom signing the bill. Since long before Dennis Perron shared his first joint or Brownie Mary gave away her first brownie, compassionate sharing of cannabis to help the sick and suffering has been an intrinsic part of human and cannabis culture. The fearless legacy of all involved in the movement to reestablish that culture and freedom in the U.S. is continued by John Entwistle, Joe Aaron, Lindsey Friedman, and the contemporaries throughout the state and country. For the first time since taking office, Governor Newsom has an opportunity to establish himself in the history of compassion, compassion and cannabis movement. Everybody is hopeful, Friedman concludes. I do have a little apprehension because Governor Brown's veto of SB 829, when it seemed like it was a no-brainer to sign the bill, and put medicine back in people's hands. But when cannabis was first legalized, it was for compassionate use, and the people who have been involved in the compassionate cannabis movement are in it for the long haul. No matter what happens, we are going to be there and keep working to create a better space for cannabis in the future. Alright, so end of article. So again, I'm, I'm going to try to include many of i'm going to include this in the show notes i'm going to include the episode where we talked about resources for low-income cannabis patients i'm going to put that in the show notes i'm going to put in the show notes an episode we we talked about about saving money on cannabis on medical cannabis and then i'm going to try to look for the 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 panel with with with, with um with joe of, of sweet leaf um collect of collective and um because yeah he had a very good um the, he went very in-depth about this program about what prop 64 has done to compassionate use and he talked about a lot of good things and again we're gonna again my first and primary concern my number one priority in doing this podcast my number one lane is helping the most vulnerable it's helping the people you can't afford the $300 ounce. I have to go to the black market or people who have to, you have to ration their cannabis and, and go without it for many months or many times at a time because they don't have the, they don't have the funds to get it or people that, you know, they, you know, that they, they don't have cars, they're immobile and they don't have a way of getting their medicine. You know, they have to take a, an expensive Uber to a said dispensary or pay an exorbitant, um, 
they have to pay exorbitant prices for um for for delivery i know in my state like we have medical dispensaries that deliver but it's a hundred dollar minimum and if you're a retired person or you're you're low income or you're on fixed income or you're disabled how are you going to have the money to get that stuff how are you going to have the money based on the limited amount that people make on on disability how are you going to have the funds to 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 be able to go and afford this or go or pay or, or use the uber you know pay the money to get your medicine and then go go back you know public transportation outside in new york city you know chicago and i'm, I'm trying to think of what other city has good public transit yeah those are the ones that readily come to mind right now and boston too to a certain degree but outside of those areas you have to car is king in this country we're too, you know we we don't we we don't prioritize making good public transit and you're having to take ubers like i said or you're having to or if you live in a state where you know the medical marijuana and delivery is a joke you're having to pay you're having to fork over at least a hundred dollars or buy a hundred dollars a hundred fifty dollars in product just to get your thing delivered you know if you don't have that money at that time you can kick rocks you know left to me in an ideal world if i if I came across like Jeff Bezos money, like this, this would be one, like besides giving my mom, my dad, like a, um, a mansion and whatever, whatever luxury car they want and giving like, and, and, and giving resources to my niece, my nephews and, and all that. Like after I, after I did all that, all, after I do all that high priority stuff, like providing for my family, I would I would create dispensaries around or in in some areas or as many areas as I could spare to do. I would create dispensaries like this that would give cannabis to low income people, people below the poverty line. That that'd be my number one customer that I would really go to bat for. People below the poverty line, people who who would be using toxic pharmaceuticals otherwise just ordinary ordinary women and men that, that need this medicine and don't have access otherwise that don't have all the status and don't have all the money in the world and all the valor in the world you know it's going to i'm, I'm going to serve them them first and foremost you know because they they get forgotten about in our society you know they get blamed for their issues instead of instead of us realizing we live in a sick um money first car first society you know they would be the first people i'd provide compassionate cannabis for because i i don't i don't feel they i don't feel they get enough they get enough help in our society they get tossed by the wayside but um if if that if that were if it were on me and i had that kind of money i'd do that because they need it and we'd be all better off if everyone that can afford, anyone that needs cannabis for medical issues could afford it. And it wasn't just limited for people who, 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 who have a good household income or whatever, or live in the right state where cannabis is inexpensive or whatever. It's going to be for everyone who needs it, for all the vulnerable people that need it. And, um, I mean, I'd probably like, I'd probably, another thing I would do to keep that sort of model viable is I would, you know, like I would charge regular prices for, you know, for, for people not in the poverty line, but, and, you know, I would, 
and they would and everyone else would have to pay delivery charges and stuff i wouldn't make it too steep or onerous but i would fund it in a way and i would structure the program in a way that um that the that the more well-off are subsidizing the the people that need compassionate medicine you know again if i if i had bill gates money and i already provided all i needed to my parents and my my family members then that's that's and and i already bought myself a, a nice house and gone on my vacations and and have my tesla roadster or whatever have once i have all all once i cover all those bases that's this is what i would this is the sort of charity i would run but um this wraps up this episode um as always it can be found on spotify itunes uh pocket cast pod bean uh radio public stitcher iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, um, Pocket Cast, and other platforms like it, as well as the Google Play Store. And um, hope you guys got a lot out of this, and peace. If you find yourself coming around often to my podcast and want to support and expand our humble little project, there are a few ways you can support us. We plan on doing big and humble little things with our projects, such as getting to trade shows, visiting other MMJ and recreational states, and doing on-field work. Supporting us helps us keep the lights on, pay rent, pay for hosting and equipment, and travel. And you can do this by going to www.anchor.fm slash podcast slash support. You can also... Support me now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash IC Sativa Podcasts. You can support the podcast for as little as $1 a month. We also have $5 and $10 tiers if you're feeling extra generous. And those come with their own benefits too. And um, if you subscribe to the, the 10 and above tier, you you get some personal time if you're over 21 with Mr. Sativa. So, you know, you can chat with me on Discord. You know, we can have 15-minute one-on-one time. So you get, you get exclusive episodes. You get early releases when you join these tiers. And you can also subscribe and find our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor FM, Overcast, Radio Republic, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Follow us on socials at um on, on Twitter, for example, at IC Sativa Podcast and on Instagram at I am Cannabis Sativa. And as always, stay medicated, my friends. Peace. You know, I, again, I mean, those are the they're saints in heaven right now for for helping out the most vulnerable, for helping out the people that people forget about, you know. In our society, it just feels that you're you, you know, you're only valuable if you make a lot of money and own a lot of property and have a lot of status but the people but the people but, but but people in marginalized groups that you know that 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 are downtrodden that they just get ignored or get told that they're that they're that their lives suck because it's their own fault or they because they didn't bootstrap hard enough those people get left in the dust you know and there's just it just seems like there's too much favoritism over um helping out the right sorts of people rather than helping out you know all good people that are in need of help
Proposition 215, the Compassionate Use Act, was contrived and co-authored by Perron. Passed in 96, the bill legalized medical marijuana in California. For the next 20 years, Compassionate Access Programs thrived in a statewide network of generosity that provided free cannabis to those who couldn't afford to purchase or otherwise access the medicine that they needed. Under that system, cultivators were able to freely and directly provide cannabis to anyone in need with a medical card. Since prohibition, since Proposition 64 passed, cultivation, transfer, distribution, and delivery are taxed with no exception for charitable or compassionate use. John Entwistle, survive, surviving husband, partner, and collaborator Dennis Perron, and close friend of co-conspirator Brownie Mary, breaks down the intent of SB 34. The bill says that if pot is free, so are the taxes. Entwistle, who wrote Proposition 215, is a supporter of SB 34 and sees it as part of the response to a number of negative side effects caused by Proposition 64 and recreational legalization. When the system of taxation and regulation has done in the short term is to make pot in California more expensive and harder to get than, than it has been in decades. Particularly hit by this are medical users who are low income and poor because suddenly they've been locked out of the market and they can't get medicine anymore, he says. Programs that are used to collect pot, collect pot for, from growers to give away for free, they're basically all closed this year because of the tax problem. The increased difficulty also, he believes, creates a danger of increasing the amount of people who use alcohol to manage their pain and stress and corresponding increase in drunk driving, which has dropped over the years in California as access to cannabis increased since Prop 20, 2015. So to all the haters and to all the reefer madness politicians, like, oh my God, people are going to drive high and there's going to be all these fatalities. Fatalities have increased in Colorado. No, no, they haven't. Colorado's, like I've said before, and I'll see you again. Colorado over the past decade or, or, or more, because their economy overall is just growing and, and lots of people are wanting to move to the state, they're getting more people in general. They're getting th hundreds and thousands of people in general, you know, and they're just getting more, more and more and more people and more and more things are being built and more and more people are, are making Colorado their home now. When you have more people, when you get a population, such massive population growth in a short period of time, you're going to have more cars on the road. And then when you have more cars on the road, regardless of whether there's weed or not, there's going to be more accidents. That's, that's a basic logic. But, um, but as, as we just read, when people can use medical marijuana, drunk driving goes down. It has gone down in California because of medical marijuana. It has gone down. When you legalize medical and adult use, fatalities go down because people are drinking less alcohol. And, and cannabis does not impair your driving in the same way that, 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 can, that, um, that alcohol does. I mean, I'm not, I'm not condoning anyone drive intoxicated on anything. Don't get my words twisted. But it does not have the same scientific proof of, of it impairing you the same capacity that alcohol can do it just doesn't you know but but people but like i said a lot of naysayers for for cannabis 
they know that they can't say Henry Asliger's words that oh it makes it makes black people and, and, and Mexicans think they're they're equal to white people and they get high. So we can't have we can't have it polluting the, the minds and the bodies of pure white people. Like that's that's what he, that's basically what he said in the nineteen thirties. And um but but naysayers of cannabis can't they can't say that because they know it's overtly racist and they know that it's uncouth for them to say. So they'll just spout out lines like, oh, we have to think of highway safety. Oh, we have to think of the children. Oh, we have to think of, of, of mental illness or whatever, of that increasing. They'll just throw out all these other phony non sequiturs that have been proven to not increase because of cannabis use or to not be a concern because of cannabis use. They'll just throw those things out there. But secretly in, 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 in the closet, they still believe, they still believe what, um, Henry Asslicker said, but they know they can't really get away with saying that anymore. So that's why they threw out those fake statistics like, oh, it causes intoxicating driving, where in, in all these legal states, that has gone down. That has gone down. Property values have gone up. Um, less people drive drunk, which drunk driving kills thousands of people a year. But... um. The implication is that Proposition 64 counterintuitively made cannabis less accessible for some. Compassion continues. The Shelter Project as Jerry Estrax is a compassionate access program that's been providing free cannabis products to cancer patients since 2014. Prior to Prop 64, they were providing about 500 patients with high quality oils in multiple forms at total costs to them of about 10 to 20,000 a month. Under a tax in Proposition 64, providing the same amount to patients with free medicine would cost the program over 100000 a month. Lindsay Freeman, the, the founding and current director of the Shelter Project, has also worked with groups like Operation e EVAC and Weed for Warriors to provide free med medicine for veterans physically and psychologically affected by their involvement in America's past and current wars. People's lives were dramatically affected and improved by these programs, she says. Some people's tremors completely stopped growing. People that weren't able to eat or sleep, people who were on multiple narcotics and heavy pain pills, saw improvement. When they suddenly weren't able to get our oils, I started getting calls about tremors returning and conditions worsening. As Senator Weiner fears, Friedman says many of their former patients are either turning back to prescription pills or illicit markets to try to manage their symptoms or trying to manage it unmedicated. Recent media reports, public concern and legislative hysteria around tainted vape cards show that the risk of resorting to illicit markets in California sometimes isn't just about getting lower quality products. The Shelter Project was one of the few fortunate was well, one of the fortunate few compassion programs that has been able to remain operating thanks to their status as growers, which cuts out one of the very expensive steps in the taxation and transfer process. They have been able to work around the Prop 64 ban on direct conveyance by partnering with Ease Delivery Service and Harborside Dispensary as providers in some areas. Others like Sweetleaf, shout out to Sweetleaf, um, friend of the show talked, um, really for revolution had like a segment about, about Sweetleaf. Um, I'll try to see if I can find it and I'll try to see if I can include it in the show notes. 
if I, if if it's if it doesn't make the first round of um show notes, I'll I'll insert it later. But I'll try to I'll try to look up the exact segment where Sweet Leaf talked about went in depth about the compassion programs and how they have been sort of eroded since Prop sixty four. It was a very very good interview. Let me a good interview and panel. Others like Sweet Leaf have restarted or maintained operations by securing private donations to cover their tax bills and continue to provide canvas free of charge to those in need. Even so, this has meant a dramatic reduction in the amount of patients the program has been able to help. The shelter project currently reaches 100 patients per month, a far cry from the 500 they were previously serving. Keeping marijuana accessible. One of the oversights in Prop 64 that SB 34 aims to correct involved the burdens it added to the process of patients getting medically licensed. Proposition 64 mandates that MMICP medical marijuana identification card program licensing for all medical patients, whereas under Prop 215, most medical patients needed only a doctor's recommendation. The MMICP card can require multiple visits to their local county public health department which some patients have called horrific, describing wait times of up to three hours in stressful environments that would be arduous without the physical and social discomforts that many patients are already combating. The Dennis Perron and Brownie Mary Act would reinstate patients' ability to enroll in compassionate programs with just their doctor's recommendation. Some issues patients face since Prop 64 wouldn't necessarily be solved by SB 34. Second Amendment issues may not be a priority for many can cannabis consumers or California voters, but they do tend to be for military veterans who are a large constituency for Weed for Warriors. But they too tend to be for military veterans who are a large constituency for Weed for Warriors, Operation Evac, and many other compassionate providers. California regulations do not allow medical patients to own firearms, which forces many veterans to choose between their constitutional right and their ability to access medicine. Under new regulation outlawed the ability of collectives to offer local delivery by bicycle, which has cur curbed direct for many collectives and programs that o operate locally in urban areas, particularly in cities like San Francisco and Los Angeles. Joe, Joe Aaron, the founder of Sweet Leave Collective, has been providing free cannabis for low-income folks in California since comp legal compassionate access in 1996. Sweet leave, Joe. Um, so yeah, that interview I was talking about, that panel that I was talking about, the, that friend of the show Reefer Rev has done, or they, they taped, had Sweet Leave Joe of the Sweet Leave Collective talking about talking in depth about what what was happening with the compassionate care programs and how you know how it evolved and you know how prop 64 has eroded it so again i'm going to try to see if i can find that video and include it in the show notes if i don't if it's not included today or when this episode comes out it'll, you'll definitely see it at some point Joseph Aaron of the the founder of Sweet Leaf Collective has been providing free cannabis for low-income folks in California since the legal compassionate access days of 1996. In his view, SB 34 is just the beginning of the process of recodifying 
intentions and sacrifices of his friend and mentor, Dennis Perrone, and cultural heroes who inspired him, like Brownie Murray. What Dennis Perrone and Brownie Murray were doing in the 1980s and 1990s changed the way people started thinking about cannabis. And now we're kind of regressing because it's in the mainstream now, and mainstream often thinks it's similar to alcohol. He is concerned that in particular, many politicians see cannabis regulations as akin to sin taxes applied to alcohol and gambling, rather than a plant that provides crucial relief for countless of suffering people with extremely rare instances or or potential for abuse. 